Gone are the days of knights and chivalry, and yet that hasn't changed God's vision of you as a man of valor. Today, pornography is a simple mouse click away, and sexual addiction is at an epidemic level. Dr. Mark Laser is an internationally known author and speaker, the leading Christian authority on sexual addiction, and the host of Faithful and True online radio production, The Men of Valor Program. Here now is Dr. Mark Laser. Welcome to the Men of Valor program. Today, Randy, we're going to continue our series through the new book, The Fight of Your Life, that uh, I co-wrote with Dr. Tim Clinton. Uh, we started our series kind of in the middle of the book about when weakness is strength. Last week, we talked about chapter one. Now we're going to move on, strangely enough, in a linear fashion to chapter two. I like starting in the middle and then backing up to the beginning. That, uh, you know, kind of captures the audience right away and then said, now that I have your attention, let me take you to chapter one. So today we move on to chapter two. Yeah, and chapter two is uh, entitled uh, The Casualties of War. And it starts with a rather dramatic story of uh, a man who was actually involved in combat and some of the carnage that he saw in Africa, actually. And what uh, he decided to do after the war was to go back and uh, be involved in some rescue efforts of uh, orphaned children and uh, some of the widowed wives of uh, one of the genocide activities over there. And this guy, uh, who is just a a common, ordinary guy, just decided that he himself uh, was going to get uh, involved. He, He didn't have a large vision of, you know, saving thousands of people. He just having seen what he had seen, uh, decided that he needed to get involved, and he did get involved, and as it turns out, he made quite a bit of difference. Well, it, it started out as almost like a personal journey of, not rehabilitation, but you know, trying to make a very positive uh, impact on some of the damage that had been done. That is right, and uh, the orphans, the widows, the, uh, the mutilated people, the amputees, the uh, gross levels of poverty and so forth that existed in the aftermath of what was in fact uh, some form of civil war over there in one of the African countries. The parallel that that we draw in the chapter is that the uh, warfare that's going on in our country is not uh, a warfare around, uh, you know, battles and bullets and and, uh, that kind of thing, but it's much more of a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare for uh, our very souls, our very lives. I think uh, the parallel that we draw is that the casualties of war are similar in terms of if you know sexuality has overtaken a father, it basically takes him out of the home and he basically uh, abandons a family and there is more or less a, a widow left there and the kids are like orphans there. They are not uh, getting the attention and time from their father that they need. The casualties, in other words, of people who are locked in a death struggle with sexuality and sexual addiction are are legion, and uh, the Bible describes it very clearly in that the sins of the father are passed down to the third and fourth generation. That's Exodus 20. So, But, you know, just in terms of the everyday things we see around here, in terms of broken homes, broken marriages, kids that are are left aimless and uh, without information, without guidance, um, the casualties of war are really all around us. Well, I thought that it was a extremely effective and powerful correlation, but between war 
and the war that's going on in the lives and hearts of men. To me, when I started to read the book, I found that, uh, first of all, it caught my eye to see casualties of war because it was such a great fit to the title of the book, The Fight of Your Life. And the more that I read it, you know, so so often uh, you might look at the title of the book and you can't tell a book by its cover and all that type of thing. Uh, but reading this chapter, I thought that it was a, a tremendous parallel between those two struggles. Now, again, the uh, story of this one particular guy, uh, the next section in the book, after there's some description of the parallel of the casualties of war, it talks again about this man. And the uh, title of this section is One Man Can Do a Lot. And when I think about this, I was thinking about it this morning, for example, in relationship to another conversation that Debbie and I were having, and the uh, words of the very famous sociologist Margaret Mead was coming to me. Margaret Mead said that, she studied cultures, by the way, all over the world. She was one of the premier, if not the most well-known female sociologist of all time. And um, one of the her, her greatest teachings, I believe, is that Culture is not changed by war or politics. Uh, Culture is changed when an individual life changes, and that individual life decides to uh, bring that change in his life or her life into the life of a couple, and therefore into the life of a family, and a family affects that change in a neighborhood or community or church And you begin to get the idea that that one person's change is expanding. And so that cultural change happens in a way, if if you can visualize this, from the bottom up. It it doesn't start from the top down, which is governments and politics and warfare and and, and people, you know, beating people and winning arguments. It, It starts by your own individual change. And when you think about the mushroom effect that one individual change can have and how it can expand and literally change a culture, uh, that's kind of what we're after in this chapter, just getting um, all the people who are reading it, hopefully the the men, to see that uh, one man can do a lot and that one man can have an effect on certainly his wife, his children, his church, uh, his community, and uh, those kinds of things multiply. Well, I find it interesting that as as we hear you uh, explain this, I think of the current condition of our culture and how sexual addiction and struggles with pornography have created this tsunami that is uh, taking over our culture and how we really need to call on men to be that individual, to make... T- to take that first step, right. and uh, as you have pointed out in the past, you are, um, you know, you're protecting your family, you're protecting yourself, you're protecting your your wife, and trying to make these changes. That until men step up and start to man up about this situation, uh, we won't start seeing changes in our culture, uh, and right. until they uh, find the courage to do so. Yeah, that's right. So there's a. Oftentimes in the book, there's a set of questions, and uh, in this section about one man can do a lot, there are some questions, and it goes back to uh, one of the spiritual questions that we ask at our men's workshop. What are you willing to fight for? What are you willing to die for? The bullet point list of questions goes on and says, you know, would you fight, stand up and fight? 
if you uh, knew that people around you were dying? Uh, Would you fight if your wife or children were being hurt or destroyed? Would you fight if something were destroying you, your spiritual life, or your integrity? I think uh, we're just trying to get men aware of the damages that can be created, the destruction that can happen, if you are not willing to stand up and fight for something, to stand for something, and to be a protector. One of the theme verses of our book is uh, Nehemiah 4.14, which is where Nehemiah challenges the workers on the wall because he knows the enemy is going to be attacking. And he says, uh, Remember the Lord your God who is awesome and fight for your brothers, your sisters, your wives, your children, and your homes. So, This is really a fight for your very homes. And uh, just realistically, like uh, an outside enemy was attacking your neighborhood, uh, you can be sure of the fact that spiritual warfare is, and uh, the damages are profound. At this point, let's take our break, and when we come back, we will continue to take a look at this list of, uh, of questions that you're posing to our listeners. You're listening to Dr. Mark Laser, and this is the Men of Valor program. struggle with the use of pornography? Faithful and True is a Christian-based counseling center specializing in the treatment of sexual addiction and compulsive behavior issues. Our well-trained staff has the highest levels of clinical expertise combined with personal experience to understand and effectively treat your sexual addiction. We have a proven track record for helping men who are seeking a transformation in their lives. Our Men of Valor three-day intensive workshops, led by Dr. Mark Laser and Dr. Greg Miller, are the most effective and affordable treatment program in the country. Our workshop alumni rate our workshops as life-changing. We also offer workshops for spouses and couples. If you're ready to make a change in your life and are seeking a treatment program provided by the top Christian experts in the sexual addiction field, visit us today at FaithfulAndTrue.com to learn more. That's FaithfulAndTrue.com. Now for the Trigger of the Week. Trigger of the Week, Randy, uh, came up last night in Tuesday Night Group. Uh, One of the guys was bringing up an issue, and the issue was that uh, he uh, had borrowed a box of uh, video games. I won't identify the system. 
So it was one particular system, and he had borrowed a series of uh, video games, and uh, he pulled out one of the games that he'd heard about that he was looking forward to playing, and um, he noticed on the uh, back cover, uh, one of the characters, one of the heroines, I guess, of this game was, uh, according to him, half naked. Now, we didn't get into any further description of what that meant, but having seen some of these uh, uh, cartoon-like video games uh, that are actually rather realistic in terms of their uh, artwork. Characters, right. Yeah, their characters. You know, this was uh, something that he hadn't really intentionally sought out, but uh, when he looked at the back cover, that was definitely a trigger. And uh, now how he dealt with that trigger, I'm going to leave for our uh, episode next week, uh, installment two of this trigger. Our first two-part trigger of the week. I like it. Yes, it's a first. But uh, shall we just say for the moment that the trigger of this week is uh, video games in general. Oh, I'm looking forward to next week's show already. Let uh, let us return then to uh, today's program and uh, the continuation of our discussion of Chapter 2 in The Fight of Your Life. Well, I think uh, the second chapter here does a lot of uh, statistics reporting based on on research that has gone on out there in culture. And uh, I don't think we need to get into all of that today in terms of the fact that I think a lot of our listeners would know uh, about what the depth of this uh, battle is all about. One of the things that's kind of slipped into the middle of this chapter is a section on just general sex, uh, sexuality or sexology 101. And uh, it's a reminder to our listeners, because we've talked about this a number of times before, that the Bible is very clear that uh, God created us to be sexual human beings. Uh, he did create sex to be good. Uh, he did command us to be fruitful and to multiply. And I think uh, what uh, we're doing here by inserting this in the middle of the chapter is just reminding the readers that sex is not the enemy. Uh, how sex is used can be the enemy. So if you can make that distinction in your mind, that sex is good. It, it, it's uh, for the purpose of uh, procreation. And uh, uh, one of the great things that I like about what God has allowed us as husbands and wives to do is to is to co-participate with him in an act of creation. So when a husband and a wife is spiritually and emotionally uh, connected, uh, and they then make that connection sacred in the sacrament of marriage, then sexuality after the marriage is an expression of the spiritual and emotional intimacy, and also an expression of the sacrament. And again, the word sacrament means that Christ is in it. So Sexuality is to be a Christ-honoring experience between a husband and wife. Sex is good. Sex itself, in that God-ordained context, is not the problem. Well, you have spoken on this for us before, and our listeners will recall the um, kind of the definitions that you have given us that when a couple takes the time to be spiritually connected uh, before the physical act of sex, it can bring your enjoyment and experience to uh, a heightened level that you've never had before when you involve right. uh, Christ uh, in your expression of love. That That is right. So 
we have to keep in front of us, uh, those of us that are wanting to be in this fight, the ultimate vision of what uh, sex was intended to be, uh, you know, a, an expression, a knowing, a coming together, a sacredness, a, a sacrament, something to be experienced very clearly according to the Bible, uh, only between a husband and a wife. So when we keep that uh, vision in front of us, uh, we know that sex is good. What has happened in our culture is that it has uh, demonized, in a way, sexuality. And one of the ways I think it's gotten demonized is that we have decided that religious attitudes or spiritual attitudes about sexuality are too oppressive. And uh, it's destroying our fun. It's limiting us. I mean, you could trace a number of different controversies to the development of the idea that uh, religion hates sex, has a very repressive attitude towards sex, and it's uh, our duty to open this whole uh, area up for the average person to experience, whether they are uh, married or not. I could list lots of historical developments. I think one of the first and biggest one in my lifetime was the fact that this uh, guy, Hugh Hefner, decided that it was his uh, duty, actually, to expose this level of repression and began to perpetrate the idea that, no, sex is uh, recreational. Sex is for everybody's enjoyment, and the more sex you have, uh, the more you're going to enjoy it. And that was certainly the playboy uh, philosophy, and that started back in the 50s. And then 60s with free love and 70s with all the new uh, human sexuality research and, and all of that. I mean, you can just follow along in the post-World War II era how our, our culture has embraced in an ongoing way the idea that you don't have to be married to enjoy sexuality and that you don't have to be a man and a woman to enjoy sexuality. And behind all of that is the idea that it's almost like it's a constitutional right. It's almost like it's our inalienable right to enjoy sexuality in the ways that we find it enjoyable or exciting. We do still think there are certain boundaries, although you can see that there's an attack on that in terms of you know, uh, who we can be sexual with, uh, not minors and that kind of thing. But uh, beyond that, there, you know, we, we tend to look at the statistics of all the pornography and the movies and everything that are out there, but I think we need to look deeper inside ourselves and say, you know, at what level have we bought into this cultural idea that uh, sex is to be enjoyed by everyone and the more you can have of it, the more enjoyable it will be? Well, how is it then, what do you recommend that we can do to start turning around that trend in our culture? Well, I think it goes back to the uh, idea that one person can do a lot. So, But here's what I think is one of the central points of this, particularly in Chapter 2. If we are waiting for culture to change, if we are waiting for the Supreme Court to come down and, and uh, make new interpretations about what is pornographic, and if we are waiting for Congress to put certain limits on pornographers, if we are waiting, Debbie and I were noticing driving back from Chicago the other day, explosion of adult bookstores along Interstate 94 in Wisconsin. 
if we are waiting for the local municipalities to uh, pass some ordinance uh, that will disallow these establishments in the first place or signage at least. Uh, And every time I see stuff like this, I, I do find myself wishing, you know, won't somebody do something to get rid of uh, all the overabundance of supply? Can't we regulate the Internet? Can't we uh, censor certain things and all of that? What I've repeatedly found uh, over the course of uh, my work in this field is that the way to uh, make a moral change in our cultures, like we were talking about earlier, is for one man uh, or one woman to recognize that they themselves want to change that regardless of whatever is out there in the world, uh, I am myself not going to participate in it. The way to get rid of all these bookstores is if there was nobody willing to go in there and buy anything. You know, we are an economic culture, so, you know, it is the law of supply and demand. If there's no demand, there will be no supply. If people aren't clicking in on the cable channels that are using pornography, if people aren't going to the strip clubs, the whatever else, you know, then the, all of these places will close. I mean, they're not economically stupid. You know, they're going to be open as long as they're making money. The same is true with all these uh, pornography sites. I mean, why do the pornographers, uh, including, you know, the 80% of it, which is somehow controlled by organized crime, you know, why did they do it? Well, organized crime is inherently interested in the, in the business of making money. And if people are not clicking into those sites and not buying memberships, prostitution would dry up if no one was willing to pay for it. If I'm making my point, I think that the way to uh, affect cultural change, to fight for our families, uh, is to change ourselves. A lot of the book goes on from this point in terms of talking about our own relationship with the Lord, our own relationship with Christ, our own reliance and dependence on Him, and how we can become... Um, men and women of courage, of valor, of conviction, of fortitude, uh, people of action, willing to stand up, willing to do something, willing to talk about this, willing to share, willing to encourage each other. I'm just going through a list of some of the things any individual can do. That's how we're going to affect the change um, that we're all longing for. And That's how we're going to be uh, ultimately protecting our family. You've been listening to Dr. Mark Laser, and this is the Men of Valor program. We'd like to remind you that as we're going through The Fight of Your Life, the new book by Dr. Tim Clinton and Dr. Mark Laser, uh, if you are intrigued by the subject matter, we invite you to visit faithfulandtrue.com and go into the bookstore where this uh, new title is available to be ordered and delivered right to your home. Until we join you again next week, we hope that th- this coming week will give you uh, that we hope that today's show gives you lots of food for thought and that your day will be filled with many blessings and great vision. You've been listening to the Men of Valor program with Dr. Mark Laser. For information about this program or to learn more about Faithful and True, visit us at faithfulandtrue.com. That's faithfulandtrue.com.